Hello and welcome back to OT Talk with Mr. T. I'm your host, Mr. T. I always found it fascinating in OT school when we talked about universal design, which is a concept they wanted us to explore. So today, let's talk universal design. First of all, what's the definition? As Wikipedia explains to us, it refers to a broad spectrum ideas of ideas meant to produce buildings, products, and environments that are inherently accessible to older people, people without disabilities, and people with disabilities. Where did this term come from? Wikipedia explained it was coined by the architect Ronald Mace, who described the concept of designing all products and built environments to be aesthetically pleasing and usable to the greatest extent possible by everyone, regardless of age, ability, and status in life. But there also was free access for people with disabilities. That idea was already coined by and thought of by somebody named Selwyn Goldsmith in a book called Designing for the Disabled in 1963. And he was most famously known for the drop curb or the curb cuts, which is in effect even today. And this idea of universal design comes from different things such as barrier-free design, obviously trying to get rid of barriers in daily life and in mobility and in transitioning and in the like and in the environment and accessibility movement and adaptive and assistive design and aesthetics. So all these things were around, but this idea itself was thought of by Selwyn Goldsmith and then more recently by Ronald Mace. So this is a great idea and a concept to talk about and think about because it's not just for people who need OT or people thinking about OT or those that have disabilities or the like, but it's really something that everybody could benefit and that everybody can learn from and everybody can use. So there are seven principles in universal design, and we're looking at a document that comes from a website called universaldesign.ie. It's from the National Disability Authority and the Center for Excellence in Universal Design. But the seven principles on many websites will all be the same. And just different websites give some examples and different websites give examples and details within those principles. And if it takes us two podcasts, we might do it in two parts. But let's see what it is. The first principle is called equitable use. The design is useful and marketable to people with diverse abilities. That means it provides the same means of use for all users, identical whenever possible, equivalent when not. Avoid segregating or stigmatizing any users. It has provisions for privacy, security, and safety, and it should be equally available to all users. And you make the design appealing to all users. So for example, another sheet we have we're using from the Center for Universal Design and the University of Washington and the Center for Applied Special Technology all came together to make their document in universal design. Their example is that a professor's website is designed so that it is accessible to everyone, including students who are blind and using text-to-speech software. The second principle is called flexibility and use. The design accommodates a wide range of individual preferences and abilities. Their guidelines say they provide choice and methods of use. You accommodate right or left-handed access and use for those left-handies, including myself, that are out there. Facilitate the user's accuracy and precision and provide adaptability to the user's pace. The example given is a museum visited as a field trip for a course allows each student to choose to read or listen to a description of the contents of display cases. I wanted to take a moment to pause and remind everyone and let everybody know that April is OT month. So happy OT month to everybody who listens to the podcast, everybody who knows OTs or uses OTs or has OT at all in their life. So happy OT month to us and to them. And please spread word. 
So back to the principles. The third one is called simple and intuitive use. And we're just turning the page and let's see what it says and we'll explain it. The use of the design is easy to understand regardless of the user's experience, knowledge, language skills, or current concentration level. So we eliminate unnecessary complexity, we be consistent with user expectations and intuition, we accommodate a wide range of literacy and language skills, we arrange information consistent with its importance, we provide effective prompting and feedback during and after task completion. The example given is that control buttons on science equipment are labeled with text and symbols that are simple and intuitive to understand. And those are the first three principles. We're going to just go through all seven and then maybe give broader examples in daily life that you could see. Number four is perceptible information. We just said simple intuitive use for number three. Number four, perceptible information. The design communicates necessary information effectively to the user regardless of the ambient conditions or the user's sensory abilities. So you use different modes, pictorial, verbal, tactile, for redundant presentation of essential information. You provide adequate contrast between essential information and its surroundings. You maximize legibility of essential information. We differentiate elements in ways that can be scribed, make it easy to give instructions or directions. Provide compatibility with a variety of techniques or devices used by people with sensory limitations. So the example here for number four is that a video presentation projected in a course includes captions. And I would also say sometimes when you build things, it gives pictures and it gives words and it might give visuals as well. Sometimes something like an Ikea thing where they give pictures and other types of building things, they give all different forms and, mo and modalities in order to do that. Principle five is called tolerance for error. The design minimizes hazards and the adverse consequences of accidental or unintended actions. So we arrange elements to minimize hazards and errors. Most use elements, most accessible, hazardous elements, eliminated, isolated, or shielded. We provide warnings of hazards and errors. We provide fail-safe features, and we discourage unconscious action in tasks that require vigilance. That's number five. The example is educational software provides guidance and background information when the student makes an inappropriate response. Number six in the universal design principles, low physical effort. The design can be used efficiently and, comfortable and with, comfortably and with a minimum of fatigue. So we allow the user to maintain a neutral body position. We've talked about that before. Use reasonable operating forces. We minimize repetitive actions and we minim minimize sustained physical effort. So here the example is the doors to a lecture hall open automatically for people with a wide variety of physical characteristics. And we could say that that's for many entrances to many stores. They have the automatic doors and everybody could benefit. Not just somebody, God forbid, low lane in a wheelchair, but for people that push strollers or just people in general. It's nice to have automatic doors. And then number seven is called size and space for approach and use. Appropriate size and space is provided for approach, reach, manipulation, and use regardless of user's body, size, posture, or mobility. And here we say we provide a clean line of sight to important elements for any seated or standing user. We make reach to all components comfortable for any seated or standing user. We accommodate var variations in hand and grip size. We provide adequate space for the use of assistive devices or personal assistance. The example given on the sheet is a flexible science lab work area has adequate workspace for students who are right or left-handed and for those who need to work from a standing or a seated position. 
So when we talk about these principles, we think about different ideas, different concepts, and different tools, utensils, and things in our life that not just somebody with disabilities or somebody who's elderly can use, but everybody could benefit from. So curb cuts or color contrast dishware with steep sides, everybody could benefit from that. Cabinets with pull-out shelves, everybody could benefit from that, and those are great. Kitchen counters at different heights, everybody could benefit from that. Low floor kneeling buses are very helpful, not just for disabilities, but for everybody. And ramps and automatic doors, you know, ramps to get in and out of places are very good, especially for those who have strollers. You know, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed in the early 90s, really is not just for disabilities, but it really helps especially young parents and young families. Think of all the places that don't have ramps, that don't allow parents with their children to easily get in and out of buildings because they're grandfathered in. Very hard to get in and out of those places without the ramps. And when we go places and there's no changing table, for example, that grinds my gears because why should only the ladies' room have a changing table, which happened over our Passover vacation, and no men's room? That should be changed. So we should make things be accessible for everybody. When you think of things like light switches or utensils or door handle types or kitchen tools, those could be beneficial depending on the ergonomics of them. Rolling suitcases we've talked about and different types of stairs, electric toothbrushes and Velcro, those are all things that could be very helpful. And these are all designs for universal use that everybody could use. Universal design is really helpful for everybody. Again, questions, comments, suggestions are welcome um, Are welcome at MaximumTEE at Yahoo.com. This has been OT Talk with Mr. T. I'm your host, Mr. T.